You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh, my brain has leaked out of my ears and been eaten by my cat, so you guys are going to have to deal. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's not any smarter, in case you were wondering oh, about that. Not. No, that didn't help anyone. It just hindered me. <laughs> so yeah, it's our 52nd episode. It's our second for season two. Oh my god, season two is going to have so much more drama. No, it's not. This isn't that kind of a season. (laughs) Yeah, so there we go. Uh, New Pokemon Snap is great. I almost was going to do a joke thing where I was like, so my topic is Pokemon Snap and you take pictures of Pokemon and that's the end. And it's your (laughs) turn. (laughs) But then I brought it up and ruined my joke. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) It's great though. But yeah, so... All right. Look at that. Season two. Episode, episode two. 52. <laughs> episode two of season two. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, Let's, Let's Talk Nerdy. Nerdy. I like how serious you have to get so you don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Actually, though. <laughs> so annoying. It's like, your name... And the name of your podcast. You have to say two things. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> but the fact that it's easier like, makes it even harder. Oh, and cheers. Clonk. Clonk. These are small clinks, but whatever. These are, these are canned clinks. Yep. Nothing special today. What no. we have left over. Some white clonks, some McUltra seltzers. Yeah. We didn't have to buy seltzer this week because we had some. (laughs) All right. Tell me about Pokemon Snap. So Pokemon Snap (laughs) is like the most fun game. You start out playing as Todd and now Todd is grown up. No, he is. That's all true, but that's not what I'm doing today. (laughs) Like none of this is a lie. If you would like to talk about Pokemon Snap, you've come to the right place. But also I don't think I can talk about it for a half an hour without saying cute. 400 times. <laughs> uh, so today I'm going to be talking about Ender's Game, uh, specifically the book. They did make a movie of it and I didn't watch it. So there. It's a 1985 military science fiction novel by American author Orson Scott Card. The book originated as a short story of the same name, published in August of 1977 in an issue of Analog Science Fiction and Fact, which sounds adorable. And then later he elaborated on characters and plot lines depicted in the novel and was able to like flesh it out into a whole fucking series. And they actually updated, uh, they released an updated version in 1991, changing some political facts to reflect the times more accurately like to include the recent collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, which I feel like is such a weird, interesting tidbit. Uh, the novel has also been translated into 34 languages. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. 
Also, this is the last time we're going to bring up Orson Scott Card because he's a homophobe who hides behind his religion. Correct. Which I didn't know until they came out with the movie and then there were a bunch of articles and I was like, oh, cool. Gotta love that sort of thing where you're like, I really love this thing. And then it's like, oh. You're an awful person. Cool. So yeah, the book is really good, but buy it used. Um, I'm sure you can find it used. Not hard. So mm, Used books. Ugh, the best. So good smelling. Okay, so, in the future, humanity has mastered inter- interplanetary space flight and has begun to explore the galaxy. In doing so, oh, uh, my sources. Right, those things. I didn't write them down because, you know, it's nothing, like, super specific. <laughs> so, like, Wikipedia, actually reading the book, uh, I looked into the Spark Notes because they're a lot more clear then Wikipedia was just like, would you like three sentences on this? And I'm like, no. No, I'd like a few more. You know, six would be great. <laughs> but yeah, so humanity's like, cool, space flight is awesome. We're exploring the galaxy. And in doing so, they encounter an alien race called the Formics, which commonly get referred to in the series as the Buggers. Uh, the discovery of a bugger base in the asteroid Eros, which is a real deal asteroid, leads to war between the species that the humans narrowly win, resulting in the discovery of advanced alien technology, including gravity manipulation. And then basically they're like, okay, well, we've been invaded once, we're going to be invaded again. So uh, the International Fleet, or the IF, uh, is established on Earth, and they create a battle school in Earth's orbit to develop gifted children into commanders capable of defeating the buggers in the next war. Our protagonist is Andrew Ender Wigan. He's Ender through the whole thing, so like hearing Andrew just like literally threw mm-hmm. me off. Uh, and he is born a third, which basically like the earth at this point has a two-child policy you can only have two and if you have more than two the only way you can have two is if you're allowed due to the government so basically the government's like yeah you two have a third child and then it's like okay i guess we can it's it's a whole ass fucking thing and honestly it probably has a lot to do with he who we will not be naming's religious views but it doesn't really matter because it's boring Like, there are a lot of reasons to limit children in the future, if we're 5,000 years in the future or whatever some dumb shit is. We don't need to throw religion in there. There's plenty of other nonsense. Um, Resources. Exactly. That's the good one. The one that actually matters. Um, so yeah, his eldest brother, Peter, is a highly intelligent sociopath who sadistically bullies Ender, and also, he's just terrible all throughout. They mention Sociopath. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and he's, damn, right on the money for all of that. They do a good job with that, actually. And then, uh, his sister, Valentine, is the middle sister, and she's a lot more sympathetic towards him. They're all very, very fucking smart. So Ender is six, and he's been wearing this monitoring device uh, so that the IF could see what he's doing and see if he should be going to battle school in the future. And uh, they end up removing it when he's six years old, and it's like, okay, well, uh, that's probably good, because 
it's been a bother anyways. He already gets teased for the whole being a third thing, even though the government was like, you have to do this. And Peter is a big crazy fuck who is like, I can't believe you got to wear the monitor a year longer than I did. (laughs) You know, lots of shit like that. So it's uh, not a bad thing that he gets it removed. But uh, when he's going to get it removed, he asks the nurse if it's going to hurt. And she says it won't. And of course, he's like, okay, so that probably means it will, but let's check it out. And of course, it does, because adults always lie. Take the monitor, blah, 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 blah. And uh, when Andrew returns to class, he's teased by a boy named Stilson. Um, and Andrew is just like, okay, I don't care about this. I'm bored by school. I know all the answers. Like, I'm six, and I'm already this apathetic about everything. This is what happens when you're really smart. I was going to say, normally it's the smart kids that are failing because they, yep. they're they not entertained. Mm-hmm. They're, they're bored. Bored as shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ender's like, uh, it's the government's fault that I'm a third, so it's weird that you're making fun of me for this because they were the ones who authorized my birth. But, you know, they're stupid kids. That's what they do. Yep. So after school, Ender is cornered and held by a group of bullies that are led by Stilson, who decided to corner him because now he's no longer being watched by the monitor, and now he can get away with shit. And Ender's like, oop, this looks bad, Uh, we've got to do something about it. So he talks the kids who are holding him into letting him go, and then he kicks Stilson in the chest, and then basically in this moment it occurs to Ender that either he stops their bullying once and for all, or this keeps happening. So even though he knows not to strike an opponent who's on the ground, he kicks Stilson brutally several more times. To right stop. in the dick, I hope. I can't remember if he does with this person, but he definitely kicks somebody in the dick okay. in the future. Yeah, I would not be I'm surprised. I'm going straight for your dick if you try anything. Heck yeah, Just fuck so you. you know. mm-hmm. He basically beats the shit out of this bigger kid who's been picking on him. And yeah, then, for being an asshole. Yeah, uh, he ends up crying while he's waiting for the bus because he thinks that he's becoming like just like Peter. Uh, the whole time while this is going on, so basically at the beginning of each chapter, um, you get to hear in a conversation about Ender between two unnamed adults that you learn more about as the book goes on. So the first chapter, they are like, okay, this boy is the one that needs to save the world from the buggers, and he's six. Just in case, I will be reminding you of his age. They aged everybody up for the movie because, of course. Of course. Because you can't have a six-year-old no. actor. Um, but no. But also, like, it, it doesn't have the same impact that way. So they're like, he's going to save the world, but we have doubts because... He's six? Uh, because his brother and sister didn't make it through. There is another conversation later where they approve of the way that Ender dealt with Siltson, comparing his actions to someone named Mazer Rackham. However, they're worried about Peter's reaction, and um, their concern, however, is tempered by the fact that they realize it's not their job to make Ender happy, but to save the world. So we go back to Ender's home after Stilton and after getting his monitor out, and Valentine's like comforting him about that, and Ender doesn't really care. And Peter is mad because Ender had this monitor for a, a full year longer than he did. So he decides that they should play this game called Buggers and Astronauts. Of course, Peter is the good guy. Ender has to be the bad guy because that's how it works when you're the oldest. Not that I'm speaking from experience. 
you're a little too young to have to deal with being the villain that, or like the worst part of the game. Um, I was both because I played by myself. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) (laughs) It explains a lot what it's sad. They're playing this game, and Peter ends up hurting Ender during the game because he's an abusive sociopath fuck. And then Ender's during all of this, like, okay, basically, what the fuck is this whole deal? And also, like, this is the losing side, and I am identifying with it at the time. This is what it feels like to be a bugger, I guess. Peter is four years older than Ender, so he's 10. And he tells Ender that he could probably kill him by slowly crushing the air out of his lungs with his knee and how everyone would think it was an accident. So I don't have any idea the size of children. No, no, me neither. <laughs> so you say six and you say ten and I'm like, is that a big difference? I I think yes. Like, I could obviously, if you were like, he's two and he's six, that's obviously a yeah. big difference. I don't know the difference between a six-year-old and a ten-year-old. Like, how big is a six-year-old supposed to be? What is the average six-year-old and what is the average ten-year-old? Average child height by age. Not these ones. <laughs> child! I don't need fucking 12. I know what kids look like when they're goddamn 12. Do, do, do. Okay, so six, we are looking at, sorry, it was done by gender, which, what the fuck ever. 45.5 inches. Hey, Siri, what is 45.5 inches in feet? Siri, be a bitch. Well, regardless... Peter probably has about a foot on him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ender does not think Peter is serious, but he knows that it is possible for him to do it. And, like, you know, he he could be serious. And then Valentine talks Peter out of it by pointing out that he wants to enter politics and he can't have anything bad like this in his past. And And that's that's such a typical psychopath. Yeah. I can get away with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Yeah. Guess what? You're not going to get away And <laughs> Valentine being like, well, maybe you could, but maybe you couldn't. And that would and fuck up your future. And maybe even if you could, it's always going to leave a dark mark There's on your future. There's still a question mark. Yes. <laughs> yep. And he's like, oh, you're right. I, I guess uh, I'll stop that. But you should keep watching out for Ender because at some point I'm going to kill him. And that he's also like, and it'll look like an accident, and you won't want to blame me. Ew. The worst. Ew. And then, wait, it gets worse, because this is the worst, worst thing. We all know this kid. And then Peter laughs about it and says he was just messing around. And then I cut his dick off. Who doesn't know this stupid child? So Ender's parents come back. They clearly don't relate to Ender at all. And the only thing he knows about them is that he makes them feel fucking awkward because he is a third and he hates that feeling. Basically, the government was like, have another baby. I was the third and I'm the baby. Yeah, but your parents didn't make... Your parents weren't made to have you by the government. No. So later... And I can't remember if it tells you exactly how much later. Doesn't really fucking Sometime matter. Sometime later. Sometime later. <laughs> uh, I hate those. 
we enter re-enter Ender's life at the breakfast table, and Ender is too preoccupied with his thoughts to eat because there is uh, a dude who is there from the IF. Is he still six? He's probably like six and a half. Okay. He's at the end of the book, he, or at the end of everything that matters in the book, he's 11. Okay. A man from the IF comes and interrupts breakfast, uh, and Ender's parents are talking to him for a moment, and they call Ender into the parlor. Uh, Peter's upset because, of course, he fucking is. And then the officer asks, asks Ender about the fight with Stilson, and Ender explains that he didn't want to uh, hurt Stilson, but wanted to make sure that he wouldn't be hurt in the future. And as he's explaining, he starts to cry and becomes embarrassed. And um, after hearing Andrew's explanation, the officer stands up, introduces himself as uh, Colonel Graff, the director of the battle school in the belt, and offers Ender a chance to enter the school. And Ender is surprised because they took away his monitor, but Graff explains that that was the last test, his final test before. It's like, basically, what are you going to do to the kids that try to beat you up? Beat them up. Yeah, so yeah, and he is he is still fucking six. He's probably six in some change, but he's still in his the sixth year of his life. Cool. I guess it would be the seventh year. But yeah, so uh, Colonel Graff is uh, satisfied with the reasons that Ender gave for what he did to Stilton, and he says that he needs to make sure... He knew what Ender's motivation was, and he almost slips up and says that he needs to make sure that Ender wasn't like Peter. (laughs) And then while Graf talks about it, it becomes clear that Ender, as a third child, who was only allowed to be born because of IF consent, not exactly, but it kind of means that he's IF property. Basically, he's their kid. It's a mess. Yikes. So uh, Graf also is basically like, you should want to choose to come to school, because if you don't choose to come, then it will be much more complicated and shit like that. He's like, you won't be able to see your sister for a few years. Uh, And then Ander asks about his parents, and Graf is like, well, they do love you, but they won't miss you because of how difficult it's been for them to deal with you. It all basically amounts to his parents resenting him for being, like, the third, and also the third that they had to have but couldn't choose. And, you know, he's not a dumbass. His whole thing is he's very fucking smart, so it's not like he doesn't know. But also, come on, you're an adult coming into a six-year-old being like, yeah, your parents kind of hate you, so you should come to battle school with me. Look at yourself. If it sounds like this is the villain for the story... (laughs) And then uh, Graf is like, battle school is difficult, but it's basically your destiny. They couldn't take Peter because he's good, but he's too cruel. Because he's a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, the IF asked for a girl next, hoping that Valentine would be less harsh, but she's too gentle. So they asked for a third, hoping that Ender would be kind of half Peter and half Valentine. And that they needed him because mankind would have been destroyed last time, except for Mazer Rackham, the brilliant commander who saved them all. And he's basically like, uh, you have to go or else all of mankind is going to die. It just makes me think of Ant-Man, where what's-his-name is explaining to Cassie why mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't leave the house. You're great with kids. <laughs> <laughs> this guy... Great with kids. <laughs> yeah, he's a killer. 
<laughs> so now we learn that that one of the adults who's been having all of these conversations at the beginning, being like, Ender's the one, is Graf. And then we don't know who the other one is, but they're talking about how to deal with Ender at battle school. And they decide that he's got to be, um, in order to do his best job, he has to be completely isolated, yet also be able to win followers. They need him to be a creative genius who can properly delegate authority. Graf insists that Ender is nice, but that they will get rid of that undesirable trait. The other adult mentions that it appears that Graf enjoys breaking the children, and Graf responds that he's good at it, but it's only worth it when they are pieced back together stronger than before. Graf is a dick. Cool. Sounds um, pretty dickish. Yeah, the worst. They all get on the shuttle, and there's 19 other children. They all get to launch off together, yay. Uh, a lot of them are laughing and joking. Ender is a little younger than them all, and small. And his nervousness makes him look a lot more serious. And he uh, realizes that Graf and the officers are observing their every move. So he, he can see that everybody's watching him and them. And when he gets on the space shuttle, he realizes that gravity will have a different meaning in space because the walls and floors are all carpeted. So it's basically like, like those elevators where you're like, well, they're expecting me to die in this. <laughs> <laughs> and Graf speaks to them and he says that he's in charge of the battle school. Nander at this point is thinking that Graf will be his friend. Oh, baby. So once they are in space, Graf starts playing with the orientation and like kind of floating around in gravity because he can. And Ender is like not disoriented because he like already was kind of expecting this and kind of laughing because the idea of being upside down and flipping around all the time sounds like fun. And uh, Graf is like, what's so funny? And Ender tells him and Graf asks the other children if they think it's funny. They all say no. And then Graf is like, well, you're all dumbasses, and Ender is the only intelligent one here. And then immediately, a kid behind Ender starts hitting him in the head with the buckle from his seat. And Ender is like, oh, okay, so you're doing this on purpose very fucking clearly. I'm not going to have any help from anyone. This is great. The boy ends up, like, trying to hit him in the head a bunch of times, and he ends up timing the boy's movement, grabs his arm hard, and then kind of throws him out of his seat. And because there isn't any gravity, his force propels him, and he, like, smacks up against the wall and breaks his arm. Beautiful. You love to see it. But Ender doesn't love to see it because he's feeling more like Peter every day. Which, you know, is pretty traumatizing. And then Graf is also like, uh... So no one mess with Ender because he is clearly the only smart one among all of you. It's like, I just wanted friends. I just wanted friends. Ender tells Graf that he feels betrayed later. And Graf is like, well, it's not your job to make friends. This is not America's next top best friend. (laughs) And basically, it's my job to train soldiers and save mankind. And it's your job to fucking save mankind. He says that people are free until they are needed by their race, at which point they are merely tools. And Ender disagrees, but Graf tells him that's the way things are until the war is over. He then tries to tell another teacher that he's Ender's friend and I was mad about it. (laughs) That doesn't really have a lot to do with anything, but I'm still mad, so here we are. 
So next conversation you have with Graf and someone who is clearly higher up in the military command, they start talking about Ender's uh, isolation and Graf insists that Ender must remain isolated so that he never thinks that anyone but himself will be there to help. Ugh! Trauma! The other voice asks to whom they can turn if Ender can't handle this and Graf's like, I'll make up a list. Don't worry about it. And then the conversation ends with Graf saying that Ender can have friends, but no parents. And what they really mean by that is he you can have... put this asshole in charge. ...teammates and subordinates, but no one to reach to out to above him when things go wrong. Uh, the military and the government put well, this dude in charge. those are two people you don't trust. Not with your kids? Nope. Not with anybody, but especially not with your very small don't. children. Very small and, like, empathetic little beans. Ugh. It's the worst. Once in battle school, Ender and his fellow launch mates, which they end up calling launchies, uh, find their bunks and they, like, kind of... A lot of them start to make friends, but nobody makes friends with Ender because everybody's the worst. And because Graf is the worst. And Dap, this guy who's in charge of watching out for them all, is like... Like, I'll answer your questions, but you have to fend for yourself. And it's like, no fucking shit. So Ender tries not to let the pain and sadness bother him, so he counts by powers of two, and he makes it to 67,108,864 before he loses track, and by that point, his mind is clear. So that's basically two, four, eight, sixteen, sixty-four. I'm not going to. Do that. And then I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I looked at this number and was like, is that a million or is that 67 million? How many numbers are in a million? Yeah, cool. So, um, clearly I'm not doing this fucking shit. That's not my jam. <laughs> so he clears his mind, uh, cries a little bit, and then, like, is happy that he had to deal with Peter as a child because he can at least, like, hide his emotions when he's a big sad bun. Should have just cried a little bit. Screw that doubling a number thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much... It's so hard. Uh, yeah. Too much effort. When I read this book back a thousand years ago, I tr- used to try to do this when I would get stressed out and stuff, and I'd get to, like, in the 200s, and then I'd be like, that's it. <laughs> And I'm done. Yeah, and by the way, we got to 64, so the 200s are real soon. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, 64, we'll one, go into 128. One, yeah, and then, and then uh, 256. Be, yeah, and then... 5-something. 250, yep, 512. Yeah, cool. <laughs> 1,024! Again. <laughs> you and I should both go to battle school. <laughs> we'd win all the fights because everyone's really small <laughs> <laughs> apparently not if they're 10 not if they're first of all not if they're 10 second of all they're all smarter than us every single one of these tiny child is smarter than us that's fine I'm tired thinking about battle yeah, school that sounds fucking exhausted and horrible so <laughs> Ender goes to the game room and is quickly bored by most of the games and he watches a couple of games that the older boys play and even though they don't like him there they let him watch and after about an hour he understands the patterns in the games that's kind of Ender's thing he watches and he figures things out and he reads and does a lot of research and then analyzes and like empathizes and that's how he gets everything to like kind of click into place so Ender char- uh, challenges an older boy to play him in the best 
in a best out of three game, and uh, he beats him on both the second and the third games and shocks all the older students around. Uh, Bernard, who is the kid who uh, Ender broke his arm, is, is the main elf in Santa Claus. <laughs> is still mad. Martha's also mad. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Uh, you were the one that woke up with the Grinch song stuck yeah, in your fucking Yeah, I was head. mad about that, too. <laughs> I'm mad about all of this fucking shit. Um, but yeah, so he and some other kids tease Ender, and then also tease another boy who is even smaller than Ender, named Shen. Basically, they've got like a IMing type dealie. Ender oh. hacks into the IMing thing and oh. creates a student named God. And a- like, I am? That's yeah. That's a screen name? God? He makes a fake student named God. I guess it's more like Facebook because you have to use your real names, no. but he, unless you're like smart. Um, and then is like, you're a dick. Uh, but you know, <laughs> not like that. Um, but essentially. And then he ends up sending like a message from Bernard to other people. And it's like basically something s- stupid because it's six year old humor about butts. I specifically remember being like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Bernard gets um, mad about that, and Dap is like, well, there's nothing you can do, and Bernard's like, you have to tell me about this, and he yells about it, and Dap's like, you can't yell at me because you are a child. Because you're six. Yeah, and... Maybe you're eight. I know you think you have power over your launch group, but you're, you're a fucking child, so stop. And basically, that breaks his power over everybody, and Ender starts to become friends with a couple people. So their main thing that they do is the battle room, which is, like, there's no gravity, and it's kind of like laser tag and capture the flag, but with, like, battle strategies. That sounds awful. So, like, if you don't... I feel like if you could do the thing for fun... While you'd after you'd had a couple drinks, it would be a fucking blast. Because basically, like, so they have these... You're floating around in space, and also they have these, like, guns that you can freeze someone with. But, like, if you only get their arm, then only their arm is frozen. So that sort of thing could be fun if I didn't have to do it. I hate fucking laser tag. Oh, really? Because I'm bad at it. I mean, I'm bad at most things. But I'm I'm a competitive person. Oh, I guess that's true. (laughs) I just remember almost wiping out the last time I played laser tag because it was so slippy and I didn't have good grippy shoes. And just like almost taking a header and being like, wow, I'm still going to play, but oh no. Hope nobody saw that. Good thing it's kind of dark. They, uh, Ender and the other launchies get into the battle room for, for the first time and they start to get used to gravity. You know, they do a bunch of things. Ender makes friends while doing this. So Ender has his friend Shen and then he also makes friends with Ali, who was friends with Bernard and kind of puts Ali in like more of a, um, leadership position so that Bernard that isn't in one. Spell a lie. A-L-I-A. Nope. A-L-A-I. <laughs> Aaliyah. My bad. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I know. Now I'm double sorry. Uh, there's this other game that Ender plays during their free time, which is called Free Play. And the like higher-ups just call it the mind game. 
Yikes. And it's hard to explain, but basically it takes pieces out of... it. Like, some of the challenges are kind of ripped right out of your mind, so things that are scary to you are things that you're going to have to deal with. But it's also, like, a lot of puzzles and dumb shit like that. That sounds like everything I don't want. Yeah, no, it sounds fucking horrible. First of all, all, puzzles. First of all, puzzles. (laughs) Not not the puzzles that you and I hate, like video game puzzles, which I are not the worst. I don't, depending, I'm not very good at them. Oh no, I'm terrible at them, but also I prefer them to a puzzle that you would do on your table. I was going to get you all puzzles. No! <laughs> I was going to do a big box and get no! you super excited and everyone you unwrap is just the puzzle. <laughs> it's just a puzzle of everything that I want. You got it. You got it all. You took a picture. You made it into a puzzle. You sent it all back. And you don't know. You get it as soon as you finish the puzzle. No! Oh my god! This is some like fucking cruel thing. Are you sure that you don't work at this goddamn school? Jesus! solid. That was good. I'm so mad. Jesus. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> basically he's been playing successfully at this free play game so far, but he has to get to this giant. And when he gets to the giant, he has to play a guessing game. The giant sets two drinks in front of him and they're different every single time he plays. And one of them is poison. And you have to drink the, choose the one that's not poison in order to go to Fairyland. And every time he plays, he guesses wrong, and it drives him fucking crazy. But so it's really just chance. There's no, no, they're both poison. They're both uh, poison every time. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a game that's um, made to like kind of drive you mad or make you do something creative. Which uh, the last time that Ember plays it, he ends up getting mad and he jumps. And attacks the giant and, like, digs through his fucking eye, which is gross. And the giant screams and dies. And a bat welcomes Ender into Fairyland. And instead of feeling happy and accomplished, he's sad that he could only stop his own death by killing another person. Even in this stupid game, he feels just like Peter. But hey, in this instance, if you were really in real life and they were like, hey... 50-50, you drink poison and die, or you live. Guess what? I'm just going to kill the person that might make me drink Mm -hmm. poison. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) I think the other option is you can just leave. You can't end the game, because that's not how it goes. But in real life... Or maybe you can't. You don't. (laughs) In real life, most of the time, you just... could like What if it's just some sick psychopath who has you kidnapped, and they're like... You either leave so by I not know drinking you poison. Watch too many things right now. <laughs> or but that eat my taser. Really happen. It's not really a thing. If it does happen, kill the fucking bastard. But self defense. It shouldn't be your first choice. Self which defense. It wasn't Ender's first choice. I was gonna say it, clearly it wasn't. If it was his like fortieth time playing, yeah, he's driven fucking crazy and was <laughs> like, "Are you fucking serious? Can you please just?" Die, and then that's how that goes. Uh, there's a conversation between Graf and an IF commander who reveals himself to be General Levy. This general reveals that he is concerned with the fact that Ender is just a kid. At this point, he's not quite 10. 
And Graf is like, well, he solved the problems with Bernard. He got past the giant's drink, which nobody has ever had gotten past. And the other commander's like, didn't somebody fucking kill themselves with that? And he's like, we're doing our job. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, well, if he's supposed to win the war and save the race, then he's going to have to kill some people. Oh, no. Didn't a child who played this game kill themselves? No, I'm saying in general. Oh, yeah. I'm saying... Why this child killed himself? Because it's a game that's driven made to drive you fucking crazy. And yeah, it hasn't driven Ender crazy yet, but everything's a mess. And also, he is a, a bag of trauma. Like, that's it. That's, that's all true. he is. A poor small bean. Oh, God. But yeah, so nobody's ever made it past the um, giant's drink before. But no one's ever thought about killing this giant. I'm sure they just gave up because you don't have to play this game. Oh. This is your free time. I would have just given up. Oh, yeah. Are you fucking but kidding I didn't, me? I, I was lost on that point. No worries. Okay, they don't have to play it. Yeah. So they just stopped caring. They have a bunch of other I games that, that they that. can play. <laughs> so they probably were like, you know what? Fuck this. I'll come back in like three months and I'll get back to the giant and remember why I hated it again. <laughs> Me playing any video game ever, except for Pokemon Snap. Love you, Pokemon Snap. General Levy is uh, concerned that the children at battle school do not act like normal kids, which... I wonder why! Shrug, shrug, shrug. Holy shit, I don't... <sighs> yeah, and then Graf points out that they're highly intelligent and that it is their job to save the world. And they're at a battle school where they're put in awful situations. And also, you made them go to this battle like, school. Yeah. No one... Like, this is... This wasn't a choice. Force and force and force and force and force. and also, Or manipulate, manipulate, manipulate. The general tells Graf not to hurt Ender, and when Graf is like, are you fucking kidding? He's like, um... Don't hurt him any more than is necessary. So, yeah. Now, are we talking physical Brain hurt? hurt? Okay, because like, you've already fucked this kid up pretty bad. Yeah. They're going to fuck him up worse. I mean, there's physical stuff, but also it's it all has to do with brain stuff. They constantly talk about how Ender never finishes his food and shit like that. You know, he works himself to the bone because, of course, he does... So Ender gets transferred to this salamander army, which is under the command of Bonzo Madrid. And he leaves, he has to leave a bunch of his friends behind, which is a big bummer. And then he kind of makes Bonzo look like an idiot by being better at him than pretty much anything. And what are you going to do about that? At this point, he's just moving up in the ranks and they're kind of switching him around on teams every now and then. And he's also kind of working with his the people that he came in on with on the launch pad, like his freshman dorm people, with them on strategies and how to like do a better job while they have to do the whole thing. Meanwhile, Graf and Major Anderson, who I don't think I've mentioned so far, but he is probably one of those people who was talking at the beginning, uh, are having an argument. Graf wants Anderson to set up the battle room scenarios, but he wants them to be, like, unfair. So, like, two against one. It's all been very specifically fair, because it's supposedly games until this point, and the whole school is kind of based on that, and uh, Graf agrees, and then is like, but war isn't fair, and Ender has to be ready to face anything. That, it's is, like, that is, that's fair, but he is also That's nine. true. Don't you think that he is already facing everything 
and like your shitty games being unfair is just I mean, another you, fucking thing. Your game was already unfair. That it was always poison. Not that game. But I'm just saying your games are already unfair. Yes. It was already always poison. Mm-hmm. This this one specifically is the one where they're in the battle. It's the laser tag game where it's been one team versus one team. So that one hasn't been unfair. But also, yes, they have a history of being <laughs> unfair. But it's not like that they're not used it's to not you being unfair. Mm-hmm. You're being unfair. Maybe not in specifically this game. Yeah. But this has been the holdout. <laughs> so this has been the thing that they feel like they can, you know, rely on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Graf is like, well, we've got to do this so that the buggers don't win. And don't contact higher authorities because uh, it's difficult enough for me to get Ender ready without any scrutiny going on here because everything is a big fucking nightmare. They do some more battle room clashes. Ender goes to the rat army because they're all named after like animals. Uh, and he's assigned to Dink Meeker's platoon, which is the worst name. Woof. And his commander basically who is another fucking kid rose the nose is her name lol rose um the nose. i know brutal all of the names in it are fucking weird wow. as shit rose is like you have to stop your practices with the, the rest of the launches and also stop using your computer during your free time and dink is like uh she can't tell you to do that because what the fuck ever so he keeps continuing to do that and uh, he's also been taking, uh, Ender has also been taking personal attack classes to protect himself, just in case there is a confrontation with somebody. Rose ends up learning to trust Ender because he just is really good at his job, his job at nine. <laughs> Child labor laws! <laughs> Guess fuck those things! Um, and then Ender and Dink have a d- talk one day where it comes out that Dink was promoted twice, but he refused to be a commander because he doesn't believe in the school. And he's 11. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. All of the commanders are 11 because everybody who's there is fucking, like, it's all children. But, like, he's like, this is dumb. We're supposed to be children. I'm We're, 11. Yeah. Let me fucking be 11. Let me be 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says that they're not normal and that the school makes them crazy. And Ender's like, well, you could still be a commander. And Dink's like, no, I'm not letting the adults ruin my life completely. Refusing command is his way of attacking the system. And Dink is also like, I'm pretty sure the buggers are gone. And this is just a way for the school to keep the IF in control of our fucking world. Oh. Uh, and Ender's like, that's probably not right. But the conversation does have an effect on him. And he begins to look for our ulterior sounds... motives in people's actions and words. That's That sounds like a probable cause. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a lot. It's a... Uh, yikes. Uh, Ender ends up, there's, they're having an extra practice section with his, like, friends and stuff, and, um, a bunch of older boys come in and a fight breaks out, and he gets all of his friends out of the way and out of danger, but remains, uh, surrounded by the older boys, so he fights his way out, injuring four of them, and feels bad about it. And then that night he, uh, returns to play the mind game, and when he goes into one of the rooms, he looks into a mirror, and Peter looks back at him. Gross. Yep, bad times. Also, 
that's going to haunt you. It's the one thing he's been trying to not be this entire time, to not be like Peter. And the comparisons are there. Like, they're, 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 they're fucking there. Ender's, like, pretty bullshit about it. And he realizes that he really is a tool, and it doesn't even matter if he hates himself for it. So Graf gives Anderson the order to make Ender a commander, and Anderson agrees and apologizes for doubting his superior's tactics, even though he is a twat. He says he's been do- happy and playing well recently, and Graf's like, well, I hope he's enjoyed it because things are going to be worse. And he's like, why are you the worst? Uh, so they make him commander of this army that's been defunct for several years. They give him an army of just, like, fucking noobs who are all younger than his nine and a half years at this point. And he can't trade anybody out for somebody else. So he just has to, like, make them no into something No trades! No trades! So he meets them, meets his soldiers, immediately takes them to the battle room for practice, shows them that gravity doesn't have any meaning in the battle room and they have to leave it behind. And then he drills his army and learns about each soldier as he does. And one of his soldiers, a small boy named Bean, Bean, um, is very quick and good. And Ender picks on him, asking him for answers that the other soldiers do not have. Bean confronts Ender and asks to be made a platoon leader, or toon leader, and he's cocky and good, and Ender says he'll be a toon leader when he proves himself as a soldier. And then he's like, why am I doing this? And also, this is the same fucking thing that grafted to me before. So he's like, okay, I get that this is why they did this to me, but I'm not going to do it the same way, and we will be fucking friends, and I'm not going to be a shithead. And then Anderson tells Ender that he can no longer hold his informal practices, and basically, because he's a commander, he loses all of his friends. Like, because they're just not allowed to be around him all the time, and that sort of fucking shit. Yeah, it's just like, hey, here's the one thing that's keeping you sane. Yoink! We're not going to talk about all of their different strategies, because it's too fucking confusing. But suffice it to say, Ender and his team continually dominate. Uh, He's super creative with his battle strategies, and at the end of the week, they've fought seven straight battles and won them all. He's also fighting more battles than any of the other teams are, which is some serious bullshit. So Ender begins studying videos of the first and second invasion in order to learn strategy uh, and learn from the buggers as new modes of attack. Anderson and Graf bring him in and they ask him about his army, and he's like, fine, we're doing fucking great. See if you can give me a good battle. We're fine. Let's yeah. go. Bring it on. Sorry bitch. I'm fucking killing it, basically. And they're like, okay, you have a fight in ten minutes. And he's like, what? Usually it's like, you have a fight the next day, and you can actually plan for it. Mm-hmm. By the time they get in there, the other team has set up their entire... Like, they're ready to roll while everybody's fucking pulling their shoes on. So they've known about this battle for a day. Uh-huh. Exactly. They're prepared, and Ender does end up defeating them quickly and easily, but he's fucking pissed about it because it's bullshit. It wasn't fair, and it's one of the first times that they give him an unfair thing, and uh, he releases his army instantly and is rude to Anderson about it. And then, in hindsight, he realizes that the people that he defeated were Bonzo from previously, who he made look like a bitch. Uh, So he defeated Bonzo's army in a fight where Bonzo should have won. And then didn't go through any, like, normal ceremonial, like, shaking of hands or anything. So it 
comes off as a an insult that will snub basically get like Bonzo even more pissy. Cool. So Ender has Bean come to his room and talk with him. He makes sure that Bean knows the significance of the game. Uh, and it's not that, like, laser tag is real fun, but also basically we're here to fight bad guys. They're trying to fight, find the best soldiers so that we can actually do the thing. And if you could choose one soldier from each of the tunes as part of a special unit that you'll train separately during extra practices and come up with new ideas on your own since you're smart, and like, I don't know, I see myself in you, blah, blah, blah. I am thinking of a 30 Rock where Jenna made a like fake thing for Kenneth. And there's a song where she says, I see myself in you. But she's just singing to herself in the mirror. Of course she is. <laughs> God damn it. I love <sighs> Jenna so much. No one is better <laughs> or worse. Surprisingly, how do you do both? But yeah, so um, Dap from earlier, who's supposed to take care of people, has filed a report at this point with the IF people. And is like, there's a conspiracy among the students to harm Ender. And like some people are trying to fucking kill him and we got to do something about this. And Graf is like, nope, Ender has to handle it on his own with his friends. And that's basically it. He's going to have to handle it on his own when he's a commander of the buggers. So he's going to have to handle this one on his own too. It's kind of the worst because he sucks. He gets a couple warnings from friends and he's like, yeah, I know I'm in trouble and stuff is happening and stuff like that. And most of the time he keeps like people around him, but uh, because he's been like, barely able to sleep because he was worried about his own life and he knows that nobody's going to actually help him or anything like that. Uh, he ends up falling asleep before showering and wakes up just before lunchtime and without thinking he heads to the showers and immediately finds himself surrounded by seven boys with Bonzo at the lead. Uh, Ender realizes that the other boys don't really give a shit. They're just there to be bullies. Bonzo is the only one that actually wants to kill him. So he is like, well, your honor, on your honor is a Spanish, as a, he's, he has a bunch of like Spanish honor that he talks about. So Ender's like, well, you talk about all that fucking shit. Are you really going to do seven on one? And he's like, no, I guess you're right. And Ender ends up using his bulk in order to, Beat the fucking shit out of Bonzo. Yeah, he basically realizes it's another Stilson. If this doesn't end here, then it will continue. So he has to make it so that Bonzo fears him enough to never fight him again. So he knocks Bonzo to the ground, kicks him in the dick. Yeah. Um, and Bonzo is already motionless at this point and doesn't respond. Dink takes Ender away and Ender knows at this point that no adult will ever help him. And he feels pretty terrible about how he hurt Bonzo because he doesn't actually want to fucking hurt people and they keep making him fucking hurt people. Um, and then literally two hours later, they throw him into another unfair battle where he's up against two armies and they've all, they're all ready to roll. And he's like still putting on his fucking shoes, you know, they all get to prepare while you were busy being traumatized and like fighting for your life. And he wins brilliantly, but doesn't really give a fuck. Bean comes to him and tells him that he's been put in command of an army. So basically they take all of 
Ender's, like, the people that he's close with and put them on their own armies so that he doesn't have anybody there. And then Graf and Anderson come to Ender and give him a sheet, graduating him to command school. Ender leaves Bean, who wonders what what it could all mean, is convinced that something significant must have happened with the war. And Ender gets to go back to Earth for a little bit before going to command school. And when he gets home, he feels like everything is all wrong. And the battle school has become his home. He is 10. The chapter ends with a conversation between Colonel Anderson, who's now in charge of the battle school, and another major, and it's revealed that actually when Ender fought with Bonzo, he did kill him. You know, he wasn't trying to, it just happened that way. And they're discussing Graf's future because they're not sure if he was arrested or promoted, because Ender did succeed brilliantly, but a student did also die under his command, and it was basically his fault, and also Stilson from previous also died. So the small baby Ender has two deaths under his belt at this point, and doesn't want to fight literally anybody. Cool. At this point also, the war is starting to be a big fucking deal. So the war is at hand, they're graduating him literally just just in time. So two months later, Graf goes to pick up Sister Valentine, after school one day and takes her to go see Ender. She is forced to trust him because of some other political shit that I haven't talked about with her and Peter. It's very important, but it's not important to Ender's story, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, she goes to meet her brother again. He's been on Earth for two months and has no intention of returning to space. He doesn't want to fight. He's sick of games. He thinks it's all bullshit. And they talk for a long time and Valentine learns why Ender is tired of fighting. Basically, he learns his enemies so well by empathizing with them, and because he empathizes so much, he ends up, like, caring for them and kind of loving them in a way, and then that's the only way that he can destroy them. And that's, like, you know, it's a bad time. He doesn't want to destroy anything. He also knows that he can't win all battles, and Valentine thinks that that he means that he'll never be able to beat Peter, but she doesn't get that he only wants Peter to like, actually love him as a brother. Yikes. Oh, he's a psychopath, yeah, so that's not going to happen. It's impossible. Sorry, baby. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Here's the spoiler alert for the end. <laughs> um, and then Valentine appeals to, P- to Ender for her sake to go save mankind. And she leaves hating Graf for having forced her to convince her brother to return to a place where he does not want to go. But he does. On the voyage to Eros, Graf is like, I know you're going to hate me for this, for using your sister as this, but blah, blah, blah. And Andrew's like, I know you're a shitty person. He doesn't say that, but, you know, he thinks it. We all think it. I'm thinking it very, very much. (laughs) Thinking it very loudly. Mm -hmm. Graf tells Ender all he knows about the buggers on their voyage to Eros. And uh, Ender learns that they communicate instantaneously. uh, And that... Through them, that's how humans learn to do the same. They have an Ansible, which is a device that allows the ships to talk to each other from across the galaxy. It's like texting, but like really, really far away. (laughs) Far away (laughs) texting. Yeah. The human ships have been sent out to attack the buggers in the third invasion, and uh, Ender is expected to be a commander five years from now. Finally, Ender asks... When he's 15? Yes. Okay why they are fighting the buggers, and Graf says that he doesn't know, but he speculates a species that can communicate through um, thought must have a hard time understanding that humans are intelligent life at all. Which, 
fair. Are we? I'm not sure. So it could have been just a misunderstanding because they attacked us first, but then that was it for the attacking. And, you know, we're neither of us can communicate with each other at that point. So Ender goes to command school, takes a bunch of classes with Graf, and also works on the simulator. Uh, he starts commanding a single fighter and then is eventually in charge of an entire fleet. And after a year, uh, Ender's like, it's kind of pretty easy. And he tells Graf. And the next day, Mazer Rackham introduces himself to Ender by attacking him and subduing him and being like, I'm going to be your teacher. Cool. Mazer Rackham, if you remember, was the guy who defeated the buggers the first time around. Okay, right. He's like, I'm going to be your teacher. And he explains that he um, took a relativistic trip in order to be alive to uh, train the commander of the third invasion. So basically, like, they popped him on a spacecraft and sent him around so that he would still be alive because he would be very, very old at this point. But because of space, time, blah, 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 because time and space is less long than time in regular places that are not space places. Did you see how hard I just rolled my eyes? (laughs) I'm not going to go into it. It's a book. (laughs) It sounds like magic. That's some real shit. Like, that's relativism and, like, time dilation is an actual factual thing. It's not just sci-fi, but it's confusing. And we're not fucking talking about it anymore because it's confusing. But yeah, so he's alive. That's why. So they watch some the tapes of the first and second invasions. And Rackham explains that basically the buggers all stopped fighting after he attacked a single ship because he destroyed the queen ship. So they're a hive mind. He goes into it and is like, they're very blah, 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 blah. But... What he's saying is there's a hive mind and all of the thoughts are coming from the queen. She does most of the thinking and everybody else does the stuff. Ideal life. So he also explains modern weapons to Ender and explains that the uh, one advantage humans have over the buggers is every pilot is a thinking being. So we can carry out many different strategies at once. So Ender has moved into a new simulator where he's to command an entire fleet. And this time with three dozen real squadron leaders made up of all of his uh, best friends and opponents from battle school. Yay! So he gets to be friends with people again. Um, Rackham is like, everything's going to be more and more complex because things are getting bigger and bigger, so you have to just be practicing these bigger and dumber things. It's a bummer. Yeah, he's uh, practicing for hours, and then battles are fought every couple of days. And then after that, he and Mazer go over them to see what he could have done differently or better. And he's lonely and tired, but he doesn't stop. He's a commander, not a friend to his leaders. He has some weird fucking dreams about the buggers. He has difficulty sleeping. He does break down physically at least once, and he wakes up in time to win a battle. And then he goes back to bed because he fucking passes out. Sounds tiring. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, and then one day, in this monotony of things that get harder and harder and harder, Mazer finally tells him that this uh, battle is going to be his... It's his final in command school. And Ender's like, thank fuck, I'm so tired of it all. And then he looks at it and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm so outnumbered. This is ridiculous. I don't even want to play this stupid game anymore. But I have nowhere to go. And this is all I have. And... 
if you're going to play a fucking crooked game against me, I guess I'm going to beat you into the ground because it's bullshit that you keep doing this to me. He uh, wins by destroying the planet that the enemy lived on, and then the room explodes in cheers. And uh, Rackham tells him... I didn't think you were going to say cheers, so I thought you were just going to say the room explodes. (laughs) The end! And done! It's such a good book! No. Um, You wouldn't have seen it coming! Yeah. So yeah, Ender destroys the planet in the simulation and the room explodes with cheers. And then Rackham tells him that actually he has been the fleet commander of the third invasion and the last bunch of fights have been real fights and he just destroyed the buggers completely. And Ender's like, are, are you, are you fucking kidding me? You've been using me this entire time. I didn't want to hurt anybody. And now I've destroyed literally an entire fucking race without my knowledge. So he, he basically passes out because he hasn't had any sleep in the past however many years because of all of this goddamn nonsense. And when he uh, wakes up, the lock proposal, which was put through by Peter to settle the war, has been accepted, and all of his friends are there to tell him what he missed. Uh, so the final chapter begins with Graf and Anderson speaking more casually than they have in the past. Graf survived his court-martial trial and uh, prosecution. Ender watched the prosecution and learned that he killed both Stilson and Bonzo. And what he can't understand is why the death of the bugger queens don't matter to anybody when these two fucking tools do. I'm sure he doesn't think of them like that. But, like, also, this is a big fucking deal. And to him, they're crimes the same way that Stilson and Bonzo's death are crimes. While he's on Eros, he does his best to help out, but nobody thinks he can be much help during peacetime, and he learns to suggest ideas through other people because he doesn't really care about his reputation. He just cares about getting things done. And Valentine comes to him and tells him that Peter is basically in control of Earth because of the politic thing that I'm not going to talk about because it's too complicated, and he, he can't come home. And Ender's like, that's true, because if I did... Peter would just use me as a pawn, and I, I can't let that happen. So uh, Valentine is going on the first colonization ship to the Bugger Worlds and wants Ender to come along to be the governor of the first colony if he agrees. And he's like, I don't want to populate worlds whose owners I fucking killed, and it feels like you're manipulating me like every other fucking person has manipulated me. And she's like, Every person is going to manipulate you. That's just being a person. Sorry. Like, people are going to do things like this. I'm sorry you got the worst of it, but you might as well, like, people are always going to push you one way or another. You have to decide to let the people who matter push you in the right directions. And he's like, okay, well, I'm not doing it because of you, but I'd I'd like to learn more about the buggers and learn about their past and figure out what they were as a as a people since I literally destroyed them. The colony travels to the new world and settles down. I assume because of space-time dilation nonsense that they're older at this point. I'm pretty sure they are. And they begin to live their lives there. They uh, try to find more places to colonize, and they send Ender off to go look for some new places. And he stumbles upon a landscape that's incredibly familiar. It's basically all of the images from his like weird free play mind game thing. So he follows all of the images, sees the giant's corpse 
uh, follows the tower, climbs up to the room with the mirror with Peter in it, and realizes that the buggers must have built this all for him in order to leave him some sort of message. And behind the mirror, Ender finds the pupa of a bugger queen. And the queen is able to communicate with him because of their, like, whole ansible thing. Because she's a bee! Because she's a baby bee! A little bee! If she isn't fuzzy, I don't care. She's fuzzy in my brain. She's fucking fuzzy. (laughs) So Ender learns that, and basically learns this because the Ansible that they made was just trying to be what the buggers actually can do with their brain. And that's how that all works. And she's like, we didn't know that you guys were thinking beings. And once we figured out that you were, you know, sentient and not just like rocks and trees we didn't attack again we were just you know doing a thing and this all happened because of a shitty miscommunication because between a lot of different people uh so he is guess what everyone talk communication yeah is the key to successful relationships successful alien relationships any kind of relationship also the rest of them (laughs) just fucking speak mm-hmm. she sends images to his mind about what he needs to do in order to let her live again and start a new bugger civilization so he does do some of that and he also writes a book based on the knowledge he gathers from the queen telling the entire bugger history especially their sorrow that the two races could not understand each other and signs its speaker for the dead uh, the readers of the book form something of a religion on earth but on the colonies where people live in the worlds where the buggers lived in, the teachings of the book become like a, a big fucking time religion. And Ender speaks to Peter once more, who is now in his 70s because he didn't take the weird ride through space. And his brother tells him his story and he writes that up in a book as well. It's funny because the end, you basically have like a bunch of different ends because you have the end where it's just... Turns out we had a full, real war the entire time against aliens. But you also have the now Enders going to be a governor in space and reconnect with his family and hang out with his sister. Reconnect with his sister. Don't reconnect with Peter. He's a twat. And then you get to, like, kind of a redo with the Burger Queen pupa. He learns to talk to it and then hatches a plan to live with them in peace after he resurrects them from the brink of extinction, which is pretty sick. And then he also invents a new religion in, like, half a page. That's really fun. That's a, That should always be the end of any book. And also, he created a new religion. Pretty sick. But yeah, one of the biggest and most important themes and, like, one of the most important parts of Ender is that he's empathetic through and through so even though at the end of all of this he's been made into a monster he's by adults and he's fucking 11 he's committed fucking genocide by himself and it's like it's cool you have to deal with this now you have to deal with all the fucking shit now but now at this point at least now that everything is over he is free to make up for the crimes that he committed that he was forced to commit and he knows that they all of mankind was wrong and that we if we had just learned to communicate things would have been okay so ender somehow at the end of this still retains his compassion that lets him make up for his crimes of the past and is nice to the buggers 
which I spent the entire book being like, Bikers! <laughs> but yeah, so that is Ender's Game. It's a good one. It's the beginning of a series, so there's a bunch more. Uh, the next one is is about Bean, and it's also very good. I don't know where my copy of Ender's Game is. I lent it out to someone, and now it's gone forever. But I have most of the rest of them uh, used, because we figured that fucking shit out. So yeah, that's that. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host, who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk, Sexy Thor! It's the ring of thunder found in the Thunderverse and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. I am going to talk about Full Metal Alchemist versus Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Yay! Yay! So my source is Wikipedia and then um, an article, uh, multiple articles, Full Metal Alchemist versus Brotherhood, What's the Difference by Anthony Gramugolia. And then 10 Biggest Differences Between Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood by Ritwick Mitra. And then there's, uh... Ritwick is a great name. <laughs> and I, uh, read something, um, on a website called differencesbetween.net. So it's the differences between them. I love that! I'm gonna spend so much time there. <laughs> I didn't mention it online, but one of the things I looked at was a space-time calculator. Because I was like, is this real? And then I was like, it is real. Everything's the worst. Oh, no. And... <laughs> I, I still have to explain it and without just saying... It's comic book science. <laughs> Damn it. No. Um, I also was on fandom briefly, and I binged both FMA yes. and FMA Brotherhood. So. FMAB. Yeah. Fmab. All right. So quick spoiler alert. Full Metal Alchemist, Full Metal Brotherhood, obviously going to be talking about a lot about them. They are streaming on Netflix, Funimation, Hulu, Crunchyroll, VRB, and Brotherhood is on HBO. Look so, at you! Yeah. <laughs> so, go watch it if you haven't. They've been out, even Brotherhood's been out for over 10 years now. That's but true. Fuck. I know, it doesn't feel like that because it, it's been so long. I would Because we were around when the first FMA was on fucking Adult Swim. Yeah, my brain is breaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I have a friend of mine who sent me a birthday email and she was like, <laughs> she signed it, Captain Kyle of the Sea, and then was like, I hope you enjoy this 20-year-old driver's ed reference. <laughs> I was like, first of all. <laughs> I was reading something, Tony posted something like, if you went back in the past, the amount of years of like Back to the Future, it would be 1991. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it is literally that millennium, millennium thing. It's like, up. It really is fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's real fucked up. 
All right, so... There's 20 years that just haven't... That just yeah. don't exist. It's, it literally doesn't... I know. I know. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. So, a uh, brief rundown on both of them. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the first series, is a Japanese anime television series adapted from the manga of the same name, written and illustrated by Hiromu Arukawa comprising of 51 episodes and it was co-produced by animation studio bones main chi Pro- uh, broadcasting system and anapolex which every single time i'm like anapolex <laughs> yeah yeah that's it damn <laughs> and it was directed by uh seiji uh mizushima it was broadcasted on MBS in Japan from October 2003 to October 2004, and I don't think it was much later that it came out here, because I was definitely a teenager. All right. A teeny bean. Yeah. It was probably like 2005, 2006 or something. So, as in the manga, the series follows the adventures of brothers Edward and Alphonse Elric, who are searching for the Philosopher's Stone so they can regain the bodies they lost in a failed attempt to bring back their dead mother. So during the development of Full Metal Alchemist, the first anime, Arakawa allowed Bones to work independently from her and requested they produce an original ending different from that of the ongoing manga. She didn't want to repeat the same ending in both media and wanted to continue writing the manga to develop the characters at her own pace because it got to a point where the anime caught up. They've got that Sailor Moon issue. Yeah, and she didn't want to feel rushed to give them something. Mm-hmm. So she was like, do what you want because I still want to do what I want yeah. with my characters. Really, they've got that Game of Thrones issue. Yes, yes. Because Sailor Moon, they'd be like, oh, you're not done? We're on the first season already. <laughs> <laughs> Guess so, we'll make 300 episodes. <laughs> 300 filler episodes. Woo! <laughs> so when you're watching the anime's ending, Arakawa stated that she was amazed with how different the homunculi creatures were from her manga, and she enjoyed how the staff speculated about the origins of the villains. Although she was not fully involved in the aspects of the 2003 series, she was directly involved in the production of it at a story-wise standpoint, and as shown in the extra of the volume 8 of the manga. Uh, she helped the anime's development team with consultation for the characters and telling the overall story she had planned for her manga, helping them in fill, fill in some of the gaps to create the ending for the 2003 the series. How cool must it be to write, like, a good chunk of something and then still be able to write your ending, but also be like, go nuts! Where yeah. do you think this is going to go? Yeah. It would be so interesting to see, because, of course, you give three different people the same story, they're going to have three different endings. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. Fucking, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So, quick little synopsis of FMA, if you haven't watched it. Like I said, the story revolves around two brothers, Edward and Alphonse Auric, who are blessed with the gift of alchemy, and the series centrals around the antagonist Dante, a, fur- a furious woman who controls seven homunculi that are named after the seven deadly sins. Both parties are in search for the Philosopher's Stones, which gives them the ability to use alchemy without equivalent exchange. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. It's another Japanese anime television adapted from the manga, and still produced by Bones, um, directed by Yashihiro Irei, written by Hiroshi Ono- 
Onogi, and uh, composed by Akira Senju. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is the second anime television series based on Full Metal Alchemist, uh, but unlike the previous adaptation, Brotherhood is a faithful adaptation directly following the original events of the manga. Ah. This series ran for 64 episodes between April 2009 and July 2010 in Japan. The first one was like 50 episodes or something so like that. So it's like 52. what Sailor Moon Crystal tried to do and didn't do mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So yeah. They tried to once the manga was out and been out for a while to go like, back here, and we'll give you it. the Yeah. Yeah. This version of the story. Yes. Exactly. The series was first licensed in North America by Funimation and was broadcasted English dubbed on Adult Swim from February 2010 to 2011. That's Brotherhood. Ah, I was like, what? Yeah, yep. Uh, Funimation lost the rights to the series and was transferred to Anipolex of America. (laughs) So, quick synopsis of Brotherhood, because it is a little bit different. Brothers Edward and Alphonse Elric are raised by their mother, Trisha Elric. Their father, Hohenheim, who is a noted and very gifted alchemist, abandoned his family when the boys were young. Their mom passed away, and the boys ended up traveling around the world to advance their alchemy with their uh, teacher, Izumi Curtis, which is also in the first one. Um, upon returning home, the two decide to try to, be, uh, try to bring their mother back to life with alchemy. However, human transmutation is taboo and is impossible. This is how Ed and Al end up with both their bodies being all fucked up. That's why it's taboo. Yep. (laughs) Edward becomes a state alchemist, and then they begin their quest to find the Philosopher's Stone to try to get their bodies back. But there's so much more going on in Brotherhood than there is in the original anime. Okay. So, now that we have a little bit of background on each of them, let's talk about... Just some of the difference. We'll start with just some like small differences and then go on to some of the bigger ones. So the first 10 episodes of Brotherhood tend to basically line up with the first half of FMA. So from here on out, just a quick side note, I'm going to be referring to the first series of FMA as FMA and Brotherhood just as Brotherhood. So that way you know which one I'm talking about. So I don't have to keep being like FMA 2003 or the first series of FMA. So it's either FMA or Brotherhood. Um, So the first 10 episodes of Brotherhood tend to line up with the first half of FMA. And then FMA takes a drastic turn halfway through since that's where the manga hadn't finished. Uh, though Brotherhood is closer to the original, FMA tends to get to spend more time and more episodes on the story and really get to dig deep, which makes FMA itself a little more dramatic and a little more heart-wrenching to watch yep. than Brotherhood. Uh, example of this is Xiao Tucker and his daughter Nina. His character, him and Nina, were built up over multiple episodes mm-hmm. in FMA before that awful, disturbing <laughs> reveal that fucked everyone up. Yep. Unlike in Brotherhood, it's like one episode long. So yes. that reveal they did with that cute appreciation you had for Nina, just it didn't you hit don't have enough time because you didn't get to bond with her like you did in, yep. in regular FMA. Man, the Sailor Moon yes. parallels are hitting real hard. <laughs> and to go along with this, the pacing for Brotherhood is faster even because there's a lot more characters and there's a lot more story to get through and especially since they already told the first part of FMA 
Brotherhood in all of regular FMA, they, like, shortened it down to ten episodes, so they didn't, like, retell the story, which I get, but it takes away a lot from the bond and the uh, you create with the characters and the character development that you're supposed to have. (laughs) Even beloved characters like Mae Hughes didn't get a lot of time before he ended up dying, and I don't know... If it was because, obviously, by Brotherhood came around, you knew what happened. Mm-hmm. But the shock that the fandom felt when Hughes died yeah. is not the same. And one, yeah, we already knew it was coming, but we we had we only had ten episodes to learn Mace mm-hmm. Hughes in Brotherhood. Unlike all these episodes that made us love him and his family and the birth of his daughter, even in like that isn't a thing in in Brotherhood. Like so the that shock that shook the FMA mm-hmm. fandom to the core just wasn't the same in Brotherhood. As someone who always cries every single time Anne Boleyn gets beheaded, even though she knows it's going to happen. I'm just going to rewrite <laughs> some, like, Anne Boleyn fanfiction where she gets away and lives a happy life for you. <laughs> it means that if you gave me enough time, I still would have been devastated over Maze Hughes and Brotherhood. Even though oh, it's yeah. still sad, but it's you don't get connected yeah, like, with him quite as much because it's quick, quick, quick. Yeah. But no, I'm a hundred percent the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, and also like, if I rewatch fucking original FMA, I'm still heartbroken. Oh my god, I was so at when I rewatched FMA, the funeral when the daughter is like, "But daddy has to go to work. You can't bury him." And I was like, "Everything's awful." Like, there's no way. Like, if you're not ugly crying at that, yeah, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Every time. Yep. I know. Yeah. Or as someone who literally cries through the last three episodes of Utena every time, like a lot. It's true. She does. Like not small crying or not like TV crying. (laughs) Like someone killed someone you know why. It's fine. Brotherhood, though, does have better animation. It's probably due to the large gaps of years in between and Mm -hmm. the advancement in technology. But both the FMA series boast high quality with uh, great choices of colors and vivid backgrounds, but Brotherhood features considerably advanced and better animation. Brotherhood is more alive with details and everything, and backgrounds are more dynamic and elaborate. In the original FMA, it lacks visuals with the background, so it just sort of looks like... The characters are moving around and the background's not doing anything, mm-hmm. like a lot in a lot of anime, unlike in Brotherhood, where it's all interactive. Which Stuff makes is it, happening. Yeah, which just makes it for, feel more real, yeah. and the action seems seem cooler because of that. Okay, so those are a few of the smaller differences, but let's get into some big plot differences that bring them, that make them different. So main plot in both anime and both the animes is the gate that uh, people go to when they perform the human transmutation, the gate of truth. This is where Ed loses his arm and leg. And this is where Ed loses his whole body. It's also where Izumi loses her, a lot of her insides. This is why Ed Allen Izumi can, uh, don't need trans- uh, transmutation circles to perform alchemy, but the gate does play different roles in each series. So the gate in Full Metal Alchemist in general, both of them, refers to the construct that allows for alchemy to exist in the world, and that's its only function in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. However, in the original anime, the gate serves as a greater purchase, uh, purchase, 
grace terms. It was so expensive. <laughs> it has a greater purpose. According to this anime, Earth and the world where Full Metal Alchemist is set is two different landscapes. The gate serves as a bridge between the two worlds, something that um, the Outwork brothers end up inadvertently crossing at the end of the anime. Another extreme difference is the homunculi from FMA to Brotherhood, both in some of their personal origins and backstories and just the part they play. So the homunculi in uh, both FMA series, both Fullmetal Alchemist series, mm-hmm. are a primary antagonist. Each homunculus is named after one of the seven deadly sins. And both anime, Lust, Gluttony, and Envy remain essentially the same, though Lust in uh, the original plays the role of the original FMA plays a role of a primary antagonist with a massive expanded role and a huge backstory, while Lust in Brotherhood is one of the first to die. Bummer. It's kind of hot, though, because Roy, like, fucking Ooh. lights her up repeatedly until she dies. Also- I mean, if you have to die. It's true. I was thinking, as I was driving home from work, how you could never be Roy because you can't snap That's your fingers. <laughs> so fucking rude. God. I mean, if I didn't have, like, literally 20 plus years of doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And just never learning and just being like, my fingers are being differently. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm different. <laughs> that's for sure, but that's not why. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my bones that are different. It's my brain. And, and that's why I was like, I'm sure this is it, and I'll never ever ask any person ever. <laughs> and then, like so many other things, where I call you out on I'm it. I'm like, oh no. Here I am. Turning 34. And I'm like, oh, not every person drops their switch on themselves when they fucking fall asleep. That's not normal. Oh, and your ankles are supposed to bend a certain way. Cool. I just. God like, damn it. Mine are just different. No, they're not. Or if they are, it's because you never fixed them. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, shit. Envy also has a more shocking background story that doesn't exist in Brotherhood, but he's still just as much as a tool in Brotherhood as he is in regular FMA. However, Prath, Ride, Sloth, and Greed are entirely different. Did you just say Prath? Pride. I might have. Pride, wrath, sloth, and greed. You'll have to listen to that back. Because I may have. I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been a long life. I've been home for like an hour this month, okay? You're allowed to say breath. I just was like, did I hear this right or not? Breath is actually my favorite. Alright, so pride, wrath, sloth, and greed are entirely different in Brotherhood. <laughs> so in Brotherhood, Wrath is Fuhrer Bradley, while Pride is his son. Greed started as someone else and then ends up becoming Ling, who is a character not in the original FMA, but a main character in Brotherhood. 
because they have like actual different like races and places in fucking uh, brotherhood. Everything's all flushed as a, out. As opposed to just everyone else in Ishvaland. Which I always thought was Ishvaland and it's a fucking V. Is it Fajita all over again? <laughs> Vegeta. Fajita dies and I'm like, oh. Well, I always thought it was Fajita, <laughs> but it still was spelled Fajita in my mind, so it doesn't matter. It's still embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. So, Ishvalan. I guess I can't really blame anyone because no one can get this. I was going to say, you're always name. Petrino. I am. I literally spell my last Me name Petrino. V like victory because <laughs> people don't get it to V. <laughs> so... In the original anime, in original FMA, Bradley is Pride. And then in Brotherhood, we find out that the homunculus are created by someone just called Father. But in FMA... Papa! In FMA, they're created when a human transmutation is performed to try to bring someone back from the dead. So in FMA, Wrath is a failed transmutation of Ed and Al's mentor, Izumi, who tried to bring back her unborn child. Greed is created by Izumi's mentor, and arguably the most startling of all is Sloth, who is actually Ed and Al's mom. Mm. Mm. Also, just adopt. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that's normal in their world. They live in a fake world. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know the rules. Okay. I feel like so, adoption in a fake world is easier because you just steal a child. That's true. Just as I mentioned, uh, here's a little more detail on how the homunculus are made. In Brotherhood, all the homunculi are created by Papa, Papa. who is the true antagonist of the series. However, in FMA, a homunculus is created by a, fa- a failed human transmutation that was found and then recruited <coughs> by Dante to become this monster thing by eating people fucking Pop Rocks. Rude. They look like Pop Rocks, but they're people. So we gross. used to have a joke. We went with FMA and we were like, Pop Rocks mm, are people. people. Are and we are just people. eating Pop Rocks. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. The fuck is that? Oh, Starlight Green. (laughs) Starlight Green is people. Starlight Green is people. So Ed and Al makes a sloth near the start of the series of the start of the FMA series. While in Brotherhood, their their mom, who they tried to bring back with alchemy, ends up just being a gross mess of flesh and disgusting, gross, scary monsterness. Don't do that. Don't do it. Um, and in Their addition, mom's been dead for a couple of years too, right? No, when they bring, oh yeah, but but they're not bringing back her original body. They're oh, literally yeah. they, at least in the FMA series, they talk about a lot exactly what makes up a human body, but it's the soul that they can't bring back, which is why when they make like a homunculus, it's just they, like they don't a, have a soul, yeah. but it's a body. Um, in addition, because each of the homunculus become a recreation of the previous humans in FMA, when a homunculus comes in contact with a, a remnant or any form of their previous selves' bodies, they end up becoming vulnerable. This is not a weakness in Brotherhood, and they are extremely hard to kill in both series, but especially in Brotherhood, because they really just don't have a weakness. 
So the other huge difference in this series is the main antagonist. Though in both series, Hohenheim is the mysterious father who left Ed, Al, and their mom, but he's also connected to both main villains. They are drastically different villains. Let's see. So in FMA, Dante is the big bad. She is a former lover of Hohenheim. She is tied to him with alchemy and the want of immortality. And then, yes. And then in Brotherhood, Father is, (laughs) is the main antagonist and he's the one that creates all the, all the homunculi, unlike Dante, who just ends up stumbling upon them. We'll touch up that. Mm In a second. I hope he actually stumbles upon them. Like, trips and is like, oh, hey. So, um, their plans are different, and the series becomes increasingly centered around their goals and how they plan to, uh, how they want to achieve these goals by their plans. Even though their plans tend to be kind of similar, the way they go about it is completely different, which ends up what causing a great divide. The Philosopher's Stone is always the main endgame for both of them, but for reasons that are different. Dante, like I said, who happened to stumble across the homunculus when she and Hohenheim tried to transmutate their dead son, plans on playing God by extending life forever by using the Philosopher's Stone from jumping to body to body. Now, remember when I said Envy had his much bigger backstory in FMA than in Brotherhood? I do. Because, the L- because Envy is... Hohenheim and uh, Dante's transmutated son. So he is the first homunculus. Yes. I guess technically they're half brother. Complicated. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The Spanish soap opera. (laughs) Yes. I'm Mm -hmm. fucking ready. (laughs) I actually love a Spanish soap opera. (laughs) So meanwhile, in Brotherhood, the main antagonist of the series, who simply goes by father, he's actually the most, uh, oh, he's the oldest and most powerful homunculus, and he creates all the other homunculi. And though his main goal is also immortality, he also wants all of the knowledge. All of it. I get one of those things. I also don't want all, because then you get to a point where you know everything and then you're bored. Yeah. And then what do you just, well, especially if you want to, you want to know everything and be immortal, that's the opposite of things. I want to know everything and then immediately die. <laughs> like, well, my purpose is done. Bam. All right. So. <laughs> Peace. I am outie. <laughs> <laughs> me piecing as they lower me into the ground. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not going to be a body, whatever I do. Okay, so since the main villain is different and how they're planning to achieve that uh, is so different and ends up changing the course, Brotherhood faithfully adapts the manga's ending, tying up mostly every plot point and all the characters up in a nice little bowl. bow. Bowl. Nice little bowl. Little bowl. Put um, them in a bowl, and then we put some milk <laughs> on them, and then we eat them for Saturday morning breakfast. Mm, cereal. I love cereal. <laughs> it feels mostly organic, weaving the uh, weaving in most previously introduced elements of the story and completing the story in a natural close. And the FMA series ends not so smooth, but mm. uh, Al is back in his body, and Ed ends up being trapped in... 
what seems to be like 1800s Europe. That's sort of like our world. It's more close to our world than what they were living in. Honestly, that's a big fucking bummer. Yeah. And basically it was like... Our world, but also 1800s. So like I was mentioning earlier with the door, the door is a portal. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the portal was... Something like our world, but we went with science instead of alchemy. And Ed and Al's world went with alchemy instead of science. And Where's the one we where we got both? <laughs> right? Where's the, like, Venn diagram center? <laughs> I want to live on that earth. <laughs> they ended up needing to make a movie called Conqueror of Shambhala, uh, which I need to rewatch. I haven't watched it mm-hmm. in a very long time. I remember I watching it. I as my very text tone. Every time you text me. Digital world. (laughs) Change. (laughs) Shit. All right. But it does try to tie up some loose ends, though it doesn't. It doesn't do so great. Shrug. So Al manages to get to the other world that Ed is lost in at the end of the anime and they end up in what appears to be like Nazi Germany. And oh, bad times! Yeah, Come and, on. Yep, and they get stuck there. And all I'm hoping is Ed and Al punch some fucking Nazis. Have you considered killing Hitler? When you think about it, though, kill Goebbels. <laughs> yes, Goebbels. <laughs> Goebbels. When you think about Gerbils? it, though, their wall on Ishvala is very kind of similar to. Hitler and the Jews because they essentially like exterminated Ishvala because they wanted to make a philosopher's stone but they picked a race and went for it. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So it kind of in that parallel kind of I makes sense. It, but also my Yeah. Brains. But also yeah. I just like I said picturing Alan Ed punching some Nazis. That's, that's good all times. I can hope. Yeah. <laughs> So there's no way for them to get back because they end up sealing the gate of truth so they can prevent anyone from going in and out of these worlds. The ending involves a lot of characters sort of being scattered across dimensions because as they were searching for Ed, a bunch of them sort of went off and then with the gate closed, no one can get back. I love a happy ending. (laughs) It even plays a little (laughs) bit with greed coming back and seeming to transform into who could possibly be Hitler. I know it's not really like that sort of a seven deadly things sins thing, seven deadly things thing. Greed for Hitler? I feel like that's the wrong choice. Yeah. I wonder if that's a typo. I feel like it should be envy. Envy I can take. And envy's power was to transform. Yeah, and and it makes a fucking yeah. ton of sense. But I don't like I said, I didn't that's just what I read. Race, and I haven't want, yeah. sir. In at least the in FMA a lot of them were, like, lost in a bunch of them. They were promised from Dante that they would become human if they, mm. if she was able to make another Philosopher's Stone. They wanted to become human. Envy was always like, why would I want to become human? I'm yeah, superior. So, but also, I, as a human, do not recommend. <laughs> Have you considered being a really well-taken-care-of domesticated cat? <laughs> God damn it. Envy's like this little weird slug thing in uh, Brotherhood that's his like true form. Gross. Yep. Is it cute? I mean, he's cuter than his regular form. Oh, no. Never mind. 
This unsatisfying ending is why a lot of fans prefer Brotherhood to the first series. I agree that the ending in a Brotherhood is better and it makes more sense, though it is a little mm-hmm. dull and kind of typical they lived happily ever after. Yeah. That being said, though, FMA had fewer characters and they were able, they spent more time for you to learn about them. And there was more, because of that, there was more shocking plot twists and it was just more dramatic, which... Mm. I'm it hits you TV. harder. That's what I want. And don't, yeah. I'm here to watch drama that I'm not de- yes. dealing with in my life. Exactly. We need to get back on Love Island, I guess. Mm-hmm. We'll have to restart the season because I don't remember anyone. Yeah, fuck those people. All right, so last part here. This is the part I had to write up while I was eating. Um, well, <laughs> special little section for Riza and Roy because Yay. they are my everything when it comes to FMA. Ugh. And so I had a, a, a huge crush yes. on both of them when so, I was Oh my god, me fucking too. It's like, oh my bisexualness. And honestly, so like since the first cat movie, I've been like obsessed with Steve Rogers and obviously Chris Evans, but I am 100% on the Roy Mustang train, and we are going full speed ahead right now. Like, okay. he's all I can think about. <laughs> I'm here God for that. damn it, Roy Mustang. Does that mean all of our, like, your bit is going to be Roy Mustang now? I'm kind of down for that. A brief little hiatus. Are you just going to snap at me and then make fun of the, f- the fact that I can't do the thing because my fingers don't work? Uh, so I don't yeah. have the right fingers for that. <sighs> you know. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> a doctor told me. Uh, so yeah, and they're their perfection. And <laughs> a doctor fucking told you. I also just bopped my fucking nose. <sighs> so Roy and Riza are perfection, and we're gonna talk about it. Yay! <laughs> it was actually hard for me to find out more like the 2003 anime the first one fma Mm -hmm. which was exactly in that and which was exactly in brotherhood and since i watched both series in about two and a half weeks i wasn't sure if i what if i was molding things together no worries (laughs) so we're gonna do the best i can here my brain so like (laughs) it leaked out of my ear and she ate it there are definitely some bits where i was like I don't remember which anime that right. was in. I, it was in one of them. <laughs> don't remember so, which. I don't remember, but here's this cute thing I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, so in both series, Roy Mustang is a colonel of the military, also known as the Flame Alchemist, mm-hmm. and Riza is his right hand, most trusted and loyal lieutenant, and probably his best friend. Do you have colonel written as colonel or as colonel? Colonel. Okay, because I struggled super hard <laughs> with all of my colonels. But I don't think I spelled it right. I think I autocorrected it. Fair enough. <laughs> but I think it's the only time I'm ever going to refer to him as Colonel. So oh, it's the yeah. only time I There's have to type it. <laughs> one of those things where I I can't, it's, it's a word I can't read out loud. Colonel Mustang. I can read Colonel that. Colonel Mustard. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> All of your loves are coming into one. <laughs> Apparently I have a thing for kernels. <laughs> yeah, all of your things are real weird. <laughs> the fact that you've got your one thing, which is pretty basic. No offense. My basic blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's it is. Fine. It's it basic. basic. It's fine. And then everything else that you have is like... 
one limb. <laughs> I have one limb, and I'm left-handed, and I'm really good at this, and I've got great eyebrows. And like, it's like, here's a list of 12 things that you have to be to be on this list. And <laughs> it's hyper-specific. It's either very basic or hyper-specific. And I love it so fucking much. I love it. <laughs> my life things are hyper specific. Say my real life thing is so basic that everything else has to be hyper specific. <laughs> Fair enough. I get it. <laughs> okay. So if I recall properly, they're both in the Ishval War and both series, but their history doesn't go back much further in the just regular FMA. Mm -hmm. One of the main differences in these is in FMA, Roy Mustang is the one that kills Winry's parents. Uh, This is a huge... I remember you told me this Yes, this is a huge and whole struggle for Roy, and it comes into play a lot of just being a a soldier, taking command and following orders, and that's why he so desperately wants to become pure because he doesn't ever want to have to take orders like that again. Riza believes in his cause and follows him in both of them. All the while, she is the one that keeps him in line. And then in the end of FMA, this is all regular FMA stuff. In the end, it's Roy who kills Bradley, a.k.a. the Fuhrer, a.k.a. Pride. And he loses an eye in the process. As he's leaving the battle, Riza shows up just in time to take out Archer and save Roy. Essentially pissed at him because he didn't wait for her. And she was like, you could die. Bitch. Fucking idiot. Ah. <laughs> um, they have a cute little ending scene where Roy's in bed with an eye patch. And Riza's like feeding him an apple on a knife. And it's all cute and domestic. <laughs> and who doesn't like that shit? And domestic. But also Riza's like, fucking stay in line or I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, and also I'm feeding you this with a knife. <laughs> it's It's... A very specific type of cute and domestic, which is very much your and my favorite fucking thing. Violent. I'm not going to say that I've been hanging out in the domestic tag on AO3, but I have. Domestic, but not domestic. Yes. I want domestic for, like, people who are amazed. Because that's special. No one wants to hear about me fucking taking stuff out of our dishwasher. No, no. Not Um, even me, and I do it. (laughs) In this one, like I said, Roy does lose one eye, so he has a little little eye patch on. And that's also where I was like, fuck, I do have an eye patch thing, too. I can't say anything. Yeah. Rose is my absolute girl forever. I'm obsessed with Nick Fury. I mean, fair. Even though he's a fucking asshole. And then there's a character in Final Fantasy, Beatrix, who has an eye patch. So, um, what I do love about Brotherhood is the depth that they're able to give their relationship. They do give Roy and Riza much more depth. First, Roy does not kill Winry's parents in uh, Brotherhood. Scar did. Which is good because i don't know roy's kind of more of an asshole in brotherhood but like it's a different a different type of asshole exactly and then as for roy and riza their relationship actually goes way back starting when they're teenagers (laughs) yes as a teenager roy learned alchemy from riza's father 
Were they really cute? Yes, I bet they were. And I bet Riza followed Roy around and was probably like, he's so cool. Yeah, and he was probably like, I'm trying not to make my voice crack in front of you. <laughs> probably. I really like alchemy. <laughs> so, when they're teenagers, Roy's learning alchemy by Riza's father. Uh, Berthold? B-E-R-T-H. I think the T-H is a... T sound. Just the T sound. Yeah. Um, and... But I don't know. That's a name I've read many, many times. <laughs> but, like, I'm not 100% sure I've ever heard it. <laughs> so this is obviously how they met. After Reza's father dies, Roy convinced Reza to join the military. So together, Mustang and Hawkeye end up being outstanding soldiers in the Ishvalan Civil War. Though the experiences leave them both emotionally scarred. Roy is a alchemist, and Hawkeye is a snapper, uh, sniper. Um, a snapper. A snapper. They're That's both Roy. snappers. <laughs> Not Martha, though. Rude. <laughs> Rude. I didn't know my bones were fucking defective. <laughs> I have an x-ray. <laughs> my doctor signed a note. <laughs> it just says Martha. Dr. Martha. I'm like, I don't think you signed, Doctor. I think you signed Martha O.D. Uh, but it's fine. Person who has dealt with prescriptions their entire fucking life. God damn it. Not only did it leave some emotional scars, along with that emotional scarring, Riza's father left a, a giant tattoo on her back that was the secret to flame alchemy. And, yeah, I don't know. And How? So, yeah, I don't know. And at one point, she treasured it, and now she hated it because of the war. Couldn't bear the thought of anyone else ever knowing it. So Roy, being the last flame alchemist, she asked him to burn it off of her back. So now she has a tattoo with a bunch of scars on her back. I feel like you could just do, like, some scribbles through it. I think it was meaning, meaningful. I get it. Yeah. And she trusted, and the point was also, it was just, like, trusting Roy. Ah, that's fair. He's very handsome. (laughs) And they've known each other for a while, and he was the last one to know the alchemy, and they went through this giant, awful war together, and both of them were like, we murdered a bunch of innocent people. But here's a hard pass from me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I trust you very much. Please don't burn me. But, yeah, well... The thing with Roy's alchemy is he has exact precision, so he That's could true. he could burn her exactly how he needed to. Still out. Yeah, no, I know, but I don't know. Slicing into your back wouldn't be cool no, either. No, no, get somebody who does fucking <laughs> tattoos and get them to draw a couple extra lines, and then anybody who tells it is gonna fuck themselves up. I don't up. know how the tattoo got on her back because I don't know how that works in this world. I mean, that's pr- I, I'm sure it probably wasn't like <laughs> actual tattoo. Doing. Like she was like, let's bring you to a tattoo artist and do this. But I just feel like once once the tattoo is done, could you tell the difference between uh, this is a hypothetical? Obviously, you don't know the answer to this. <laughs> but like, could you tell the difference between that and like an, a tattoo that was like tattooed? I don't know, Martha. It's a drawing. Exactly. Obviously, this is not a real world. But if it was me, I would have just drawn a couple extra lines. And I'd be like, Roy, can you Sharpie on a couple extra lines, like, literally every other morning? And that would be that. Oh, god damn it. I would also have, like, a really hard undergarment to take off. 
so that it would be covered up all the time. Well, yeah, she always is covered up. Yeah. If you notice, even when she's just wearing her blacks shirt, it's mm-hmm. even still like a turtleneck and it has sleeves and you can never see oh, her back. it's all the way up. Yeah. That's a bummer. So, the only person that knows it's there is Roy. Yeah. What a bad dad. Yeah, he's a sucky dad. So, burn scar off the back. It's probably hot. I'm sure it's hot in both ways. <laughs> <laughs> but in turn, he asks her to follow him and to make the world a better place. And he entrusts Riza with his life as basically his right hand and has also deemed her as both his conscious and his uh, executioner by giving her the express authority to shoot him should he ever go back or stray on his righteous path. Which at one point, she does end up shooting him? Holding up her gun, being like, don't Please. Don't be a bitch. Please I will stop shoot you. because I don't want to shoot you, mm-hmm. but I will. Or that. That's the nicer way to put that. <laughs> don't be a bitch. I will shoot you. <laughs> At one point in Brotherhood, which is very different from FMA, Bradley knows Mustang is up to no good, or good since Bradley's bad guy. Trying <laughs> he's up to, to no good comparatively. Comparatively. He's up to no good for Bradley. Bradley. But <laughs> But I guess Roy's up to good because he's the one trying to stop the evil shit. Fuck you, Bradley. Yep. Um, He ends up separating Roy's whole team and he specifically takes Riza and makes her his personal assistant knowing this is the biggest blow to Roy. Um, And when this happens, Roy has like a little mini monologue, inner monologue about how fucked he is and trying to get it together. And he ends up... My entire life. (laughs) He ends up comparing all of his team that he had to chess pieces uh, he, of course, compares Riza to, to Bradley taking his queen piece. Romance. <laughs> <laughs> How you find romance in chess. All right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Make me your best piece, bitch. <laughs> Duh. The queen piece. Is the only one that does fucking work. Is the only work. one that does fucking anything. If I was um, the queen, I would just knock the king over and take over. Right? Seriously. He can only go one spot. I know. What good are you? I can go as many spots I want in any fucking direction. I can do fucking diagonal circles around. <laughs> diagonal circles is my new, like, synth wave band. <laughs> That's my new acapella group. Okay, so also unlike at FMA where Roy only loses one eye, he ends up losing his vision completely in Dose. Dose. But he still has eyes, he just goes blind. I'm pretty oh. sure in FMA he loses an eyeball. <laughs> um so uh, Usually that is the way if you are like, I don't see out of this eye, but it's still there. Yes. You just wear glasses. <laughs> Which is why he had an eye patch. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Roy loses his vision completely. Riza is severely wounded by the bad dude, which 
I don't badly. know. Who the, badly. Badly. No, Badly's fighting someone else right now. He's Whatever. Fighting I don't know. It's, hard. it's the end. Badly There's a lot of things happening. There's like some evil doctor. I don't badly know. Badly is representative but, of Yes, it's legit. So the point is they're trying to make Roy do human transmutation. So he's basically like, hey, do this and maybe I'll save her life because they know she's important. <laughs> And uh, because they need Roy as their last sacrifice in order to make this philosopher stone. And the only way that they can get these sacrifices is if you perform transmutation. So they already have Ed, Al, they have Hohenheim, and they have Azumi. So we they need Roy, and they're trying to do it with Riza. Uh, though she is... Yeah, they need five, and they have four. So they're trying to make Roy do it to get the fifth. Yes. She is literally dying. She's, like, bleeding out. They, like, sliced her neck open or something. Oh, what the fuck? But she still is able to communicate to him not to do it, and there's help on the way. So he is like, no, I'm not going to do it, and help does come. They end up somehow, I don't know, alchemy science, forcing him to perform it anyways. On um, They, like, kill the doctor and make him transmutate the doctor. Mm. Just like everyone else who performed human uh, transmutation, even though Roy didn't want to and he was literally forced to, uh, he lost his sight in equivalent oh. exchange. But... The most important thing of the entire world comes from Rory losing his eyesight. So they end up back in reality from wherever they were. Back in reality. Yeah. Yep. The greatest gravity. <laughs> right? Yep. I think that's right. <laughs> Mike, that's... <laughs> but also, you said a line. What do you fucking want from me? You started this. My voice cracking 300 times like Teen Roy. <laughs> I'm a man <laughs> Definitely a man Especially since Roy's voice is so fucking deep Very tall <laughs> Actually I get it, I feel it Okay Alright, so Most important thing ever comes From this scene So <laughs> quick, quick little thing. There is, is alchemy. This is the most important thing. This is the most important thing to this whole scene slash this whole anime. Quick side note: there's alchemy and then there's alchemy because there's different. There's different. It makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so I, alchemy, I just hate the word alchemy. Yeah. Whatever. Chemistry, like with chemicals or some shit. So it's just a different way of doing alchemy. Well, if they sh- were going to call it history, they should have used chemistry, and I'm mad. Yeah, I don't. They might have gone into more detail that I wasn't following. That's so, it, but but because they have like actual different like races and different like countries and different in the in brotherhood, it alchemy is just another country's form of their way of doing alchemy. Oh, okay. yes, and it's different. It's not performed the same way. It follows similar rules, but it it's it is different. It gets the same. So results. there's this one character who can she performs alchemy. And she's able to heal Riza so enough that she isn't like Not bleeding dead. out anymore and dying. All right, literally after this point, I don't. This could have been the worst anime in the entire world, but this one, this part, this part is everything. I have a feeling everything. this is the one that you came everything. in and screamed yeah. at me about. So Riza gets healed, like I said, and she's still able to go fight. 
And so there's just this cute little scene where Roy's like, hey, Lieutenant, you still good? I'm blind, but are you still good? And she's like, I almost bled out, but let's fucking do this. <laughs> We're both disasters. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Your ship dynamic. Oh, real facts right there. My ship dynamic also. Wow. That's rude. And Me calling both of us out is kind of <laughs> just the worst. Not a fan. Stop it, Martha. In the future, you're listening to this. Don't do it in the game. <laughs> Don't need it. <laughs> so, she, Riza, becomes Roy's eyes. She becomes his eyes, like physically. To they a transmute her into them. <laughs> no, he not has many eyes. Many, he becomes an angel. <laughs> You're ruining the best part. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so Riza becomes Roy's eyes, which is everything. She's able to direct him. In such a way that in the final battle, he's actually really, really useful as the flame alchemist mm-hmm. instead of just being blind. Because she's a sniper. Because she's a sniper and she's literally And like, a boss. And he's able to follow her. They just have a vibe and yeah. she's just like standing behind him. I'm she's sure like, they've fought together a billion yeah. times. Yes, exactly. So... They've become the same person. It's like when you live together in a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, the best scene and everything that my 31-year-old heart needed, and I <laughs> waited 10 years to watch it for whatever reason, it was everything. I legit was, like, on the couch being like, <laughs> yep. and then, and then I cried to Martha, <laughs> and then gave it to the room, like, <laughs> I'm emotional and also <laughs> Let me yell at you about it. <laughs> so, um, in the end, they're both in hospital beds next to each other. Eating terrible food together. And um, all the crew's back together, and they're all quizzing Roy on Ishval because he's still planning to become pure, and he's pretty high up on the list, and he wants to make all the shit right that the military did to Ishval, and Reese's right by his side, ready to follow him. All right, so yeah, Roy and Riza, FMA, both brotherhood, but in brotherhood, definitely yes. heart warms my heart. Riza also, I have to mention, has Black Kayate, which is one of the bestest puppies. He's the bestest boy. He's an honorary bestest boy. She has them in both. Good side note. Roy also really likes Black Kayate. Could you not? Roy, and so in FMA, when they find Black Hayate, he's a puppy, and that's the same episode that Al is hiding kittens in his <laughs> armor. Yeah. And so... Oh my god. You're right, that is the same is episode. Because they have, like, a little competition, Roy and Ed. Ed's basically like, hey, if I win, you have to take this kitten. And Roy's like, I'm much more of a dog person. And I'm like, he's still my heart, Roy. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, Lord. But then Riza takes him and definitely trains him with an iron fucking fist. In, side note, completely side note, in Brotherhood, there's one point where Gluttony's attacking Riza, like, to a point where she's 
gonna get eaten by gluttony. And she's like, all her ammo is gone. She's like, oh shit. And wherever she is, like, the all of a sudden, one of the characters, I can't think of any of her names, he comes in. But Black Hayate jumps and lunges at Gluttony and saves Riza from him long enough to Royce for Roy to get there and get Is this your fantasy? And then they had hot, hot sex wherever they were. And the other person was like, I'm just going to take the dog and go. Is this your fantasy? (laughs) (laughs) I killed it in the game. Got saved by my dog. Fucked my hot boy. (laughs) Actually, all of your aspirations in life. (laughs) That's your action movie. (laughs) It's fine. Oh boy, sorry to read you so hard this episode. (laughs) Did it to myself with leading into the Roy Mustang thing. Shit. God damn it. All right. There you go. Those are the differences between FMA and and Brotherhood, which I actually didn't, I knew Brotherhood was based more on the manga, but I didn't really know the main difference until I was like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to binge all of it. And I did. And now I have a problem. And now we all know the difference. But now you all know the difference. Mm -hmm. Education. You guys get to learn things about things, and we get to learn things about, about ourselves. <laughs> and and one of us is one winning of us, a great say, thing. One of us is winning, and one of us is not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, this one went my way. I'm fucking shocked. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going to cry myself to sleep. And, um... Read some domestic shit. I got you, girl. <laughs> Riza and Roy, domestic. That's yeah, it. I'm sure that's, that's all we need. The artist, she was actually said, even though they're not ever said as, like, a couple in either the manga or the anime, she's been quoted saying, well, they can't get married because then it's a bad thing for the military so they couldn't be like subordinate and uh, how they are power dynamics. With, yes because of power dynamics and it's such an important part of their relationship that they can never say that they're together or be married or mm-hmm. any of that because it would screw up that part of their relationship okay yeah i get that but oh that's double tragic yeah it's okay they can be secretly married and banging each other the I, best fix are when they're just like to be fair, secretly that's a quote-unquote-unquote-unquote. Unquote, unquote. <laughs> we all fucking know. She's like, I'm gonna become your 12 R's. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't do that unless you guys are totally, like, fucking... Period. <laughs> end. End sentence. It's all you needed. <laughs> and on that note, I think that is a good place to end it. whole ass episode there's a whole ass episode yep all right we're back on our bullshit jesus christ (laughs) all right oh god whatever please stay safe blah 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 stay safe vaccinate vax yes please vaccinate Mm -hmm. but also rate review subscribe all those things those things you can rate review subscribe while you're waiting in line to get vaccinated or while you're waiting for the 15 minutes after they make you wait after your vaccination to make sure you don't have a bad reaction we hope you don't Uh, die and then you're like this is the perfect time to rate review subscribe but first let's talk nerdy
Mm-hmm. And don't worry, you won't die. Just be like, hey, any person who came with me, give me your phone. I just want to see it. Mm-hmm. I just want to see it. Mm-hmm. And then rate, review, subscribe. And then also take a really bad picture of yourself and leave it in their photos. <laughs> oh my god, I hate when Martha does that. <laughs> she knows it, so she makes sure she does it a lot. Because finding it later is the I worst slash best. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Sometimes I react and then sometimes I don't give her the satisfaction and just delete it. I'm satisfied either way. <laughs> I got to see the shitty picture of myself and I know you have to see it in the future. <laughs> All right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. ESO Network and Podbean. We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.